to our family. How are we feeling tonight? Y'all doing good? That's great. Well, hey, if we've never met, my name is Matt. And I was intentional about saying that up top, TLR family. And we say that a lot around here, that we call this a family. And we really want this gathering to feel more than just like a gathering of a lot of students on Monday nights. But we want this to feel like a family, to feel like a home away from home, a place where you can belong, a place where you can be yourself, a place where you can pull down the walls, a place where you can connect with other people. And so in order for it to feel like a family, we think nights like tonight are super, super important. And so tonight is a night of, of stories where we're going to get to have some real honest conversations with some people who are a part of our family, some students, some of your peers, some of your friends, but then also with some small group leaders here at the living room and some volunteers here at the living room. So I am super excited about these conversations. It's going to be awesome over the next 45 or so minutes that we have together to hear from some of these people. So without further ado, TLR, would you help me welcome to the stage our first group of people, four people, you guys can come on out, help me welcome them to the stage and let's get this started, let's get this started, yeah, amazing, so good, thank you for that applause, um, I feel like I'm like doing a talk show and I'm like Jimmy Fallon or something, I don't know, but that's cool, um, hey, we're going to dive right in, which by the way, I love that in that moment after the song, without you close your eyes during the prayer and then boom, the stage transformed into a living room, no pun intended, you know, um, so that's great, but hey, we're going to dive right in, I would love to know um, who you guys are, so why don't you just tell me your name, where you serve here at the living room, and then a random fact, how about your hometown, where are you from, so go ahead. All right. Hey, guys. My name's Sequoia. I serve on the host team here at the Living Room, and I'm from Los Angeles, California. L.A. What's up? We got any Lakers fans in the room? Okay. <laughs> they're not, you, you don't want to say it because they're not going to make the playoffs. Anyways, keep going. Hey, y'all. I'm Anaya. I lead a small group, and I'm from Austin, Texas. Amazing. Yeah. Hook them horns. Hey, everybody. My name's Chip. I am from Auburn, Alabama. Uh, War Eagle? War Eagle. Yeah. War, yeah. Okay, awesome. Cool. Hey, everybody. My name is Jay Taylor, and I'm originally from South Africa. Um, I serve in the kitchen team. Um, I serve on the teardown team, and I make sure you guys get on the bus and get home safe. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Jay serves everywhere. That's amazing. Jay, keep the mic in your hands. I got a question for you. So, um, clearly, you serve in, in multiple different environments here at the living room, which is amazing. And, um, Jade, I'm just curious because if anyone's ever seen Jade serve in any of these environments, which many of you have, he always has the most energy. Like this man is always high-fiving people, <laughs> smiling, saying, hey, I'll see you next week. Like you're just always excited and in a great mood. And I know every week you can't be feeling that way all the time, but somehow you still give off that vibe. Jade, why, like what gives you so much energy and joy in serving students here at the living room? I think one of the biggest things for me is people. Uh, one of the phrases I live by uh, is, it's not about you, it's about God. Mm -hmm. So what I constantly do is make sure that when people see me, my representation is not about me, it's about God. So I try to put the best energy and effort forth, just so you guys know that you're welcome, and this is a home away from home. So for me, I'm big on making sure that people are happy, and I absolutely love people. So for me, the biggest thing is just people. Yeah. It's like, does your energy portray that you are happy to have whoever's in front of you at that moment, and if you're engaged and listening, are you happy? So Yeah. That's, That's amazing. Well, Jade, you love people so well, and seriously, it's an example. We talk about it all the time, so thank you. Um, Chip, you also um, serve in a lot of different areas and um, mainly lead the help lead the food team, but you're around, I feel like, doing a bunch of different roles throughout the night. And Chip, um, you're just incredible the way you engage with people. And I, I want to ask a very similar question, Chip, um, because tonight, honestly, I, I wasn't going to say this, but when I asked you to be a part of this night, the first thing that you kind of said was kind of like, hey, Matt, um, am I still going to be able to serve? And it was kind of like, if the answer is no, then my answer to you is no, I'm not going to be a part of this night because I do not want to not serve. And I was like, Chip, yeah, we could still work it out, I think. We're going to figure it out. Just please say yes. And you're like, okay, I'll do it. So Chip, what um, do you feel like drives your passion to serve? here at the living room and to serve people? Great question. So I, um, I really was just looking for a place to serve this church that I love. And uh, I didn't know that the living room existed. And when I found this place, when I found you guys, and I get to see your faces every week, I get to uh, see how you, you go and you sit with people who are by themselves. You love each other so well. You're excited. You, you're here with energy. You're worshiping. I mean, 
you're inspirational to me. You make me excited. You make my faith, you know, I want to explode and, and get excited about what God's doing in this world. You just give me so much hope. I, I would ask you, who would not want to be in an environment like this? I mean, wow. you guys are amazing. Yeah, it's that's really so awesome, Chip. To be here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just bouncing off that note, on behalf of the living room, um, I just want to say to all of you guys and to the rest of all of our small group leaders and volunteers here at the living room, like, thank you for what you guys do. Um, you help make this place feel like a home away from home. So we're super grateful. Anaya, um, you lead a small group here at the living room. Do we have any Anaya small group um, fans? Okay. <laughs> What's up? There you are. I thought I saw you guys. Anaya, what, um, what has leading a small group meant to you? Leading a small group is really the equivalent for me of having a time machine. I didn't have Christ in my life in college and made plenty of bad decisions. And being able to come here every Monday night and pour into these girls and give them advice on these real life situations that they're going through and just be a friend that I wish I would have had or the friend I wish I could have been to other people back when I was in college means everything to me. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, Sequoia, I know you have graduated, but you are now continuing on. Tell us a little bit about that. You are a grad student. Where at? Grad student at Georgia State. Okay, Georgia State. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, we got a few GSU people in the room. That's incredible. So Sequoia, um, you've been around the living room for, for quite some time throughout most of your college experience. You've kind of been connected to the living room, but just recently even got more connected through serving. And Sequoia, I would just love to ask you a question. Um, what do you love most about the living room? Yeah, so the thing that's really like, got me to st- stick around is just that how it everyone's so genuine. Like when someone asks you like, oh, like, how are you? Or they say like, hey, I'm glad you're here. Like they genuinely mean that. So like, it makes you feel just really invited. And of course, like the home away from home slogan is just so true and made me feel so welcome and want to get involved in that and hopefully be able to like share that experience with other people. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, kind of turning the page here, Chip. Uh, there was a couple years ago where it's a moment I'll never forget. And I don't know if you guys even know this, but about two years ago, even less than two years ago, um, the living room was a lot smaller. It was about 140, 150 people on any given Monday night. And we were meeting um, a couple floors up here at Buckhead Church on the fourth floor. Some of you are like, I didn't even know there was a fourth floor. Um, we were a couple floors higher in a smaller space. And it was a Monday night, just a normal Monday night. And Chip um, walked in the back when worship was happening. Um, just like we experienced a few minutes ago. And Chip kind of leaned over to me and was like, this is awesome. And I was like, yeah, it is. And he's like, but there are going to be a time here very, very soon in the next couple years where there's going to be so many more people coming to this. And he's like, and that needs to happen because there are so many more college students that need to experience this, that need to find a home away from home. And Chip, I, I think you forgot about that moment until about six months ago when I reminded you of it, but I have never forgotten about that moment because that was the moment when you blew my vision up for what the living room could and should be. And so Chip, I would love for you just to speak into what's your vision for TLR? And if you would, like if you have 30 seconds to encourage this community, this family, these students here at the living room, what would you say to them? Sure. So, you know, that night you're talking about, it, it was always evident to me that the Spirit of God is here in this place. Mm-hmm. And um, when, when God is present, I mean, you see amazing things happen. Like, I see the fruit of his presence. I see the joy of God here with us. I know he's here. I don't doubt it. And we can't contain the Spirit of God. It's, it's like, it's pouring off of you. I mean, it, it's so beautiful. And I just want you to see that he's bigger than all of us. And um, sometimes we dream small and God then just wants to go so much further if we'll just trust him, if we'll just believe. So I know he's in this room with us right now. I've already seen it here in our worship tonight. And if, if God is here, he, he doesn't have to be contained by these walls. He doesn't have to be contained by this building. He can go outside of this city. He can go back to your campus. He can We can take the living room outside of this living room environment. We can just keep going. And I say, let's just keep casting that vision where we take the spirit with us when we leave this place. We take it wherever we go. So don't, don't lose sight. That's a big deal. When the living God, your creator, is inside of you and he's here and he's meeting with you, that's a big deal. We can't take that for granted. Let's, let's honor that. Let's embrace that. Let's hold it really dear to our hearts that the one who knows us, who loves us, who created us, 
wants to be with us, spend time with us, and he wants that message shared with everyone we meet. Yeah, that's so awesome, Chip. Thank you for that, yeah. Jade, um, you mentioned that you're from South Africa, and you moved from South Africa to America about 12 years ago in 2007. Kind of tell me um, what that was like and what was happening in your life um, around that time. It was scary. Yeah. (laughs) It was scary. Um, I think everything is done differently. Um, So having to move to a new country, leave all your friends behind, you were just, I was at the age, I was 14 years old back at the time, and I was just figuring out who I was. Uh, I was getting comfortable with my friends, with my surroundings, and boom, mom's like, hey, I'm getting married and we're moving to America. And I'm like, no. (laughs) As, As good as it sounded and the things seemed on TV, for me, it was reality because I was leaving everything that I had behind. And taking a step of faith and a leap, essentially, because I didn't have a choice at this point. I was moving forward and was I ready? I didn't know at the time, but I knew that I had to count on God and I had to take the step and trust that my mom, trusting the decision that she made to move. Um, it was breathtaking. It was different. Going to school, getting made fun of because of my accents at first. So I try to change it. And when I'm around people from South Africa, um, it's almost like you, you couldn't tell what I was saying or what we're speaking about. Um, but it was day and night difference. Making the adjustment and the move, it was scary and... I had to trust God because starting a new environment, having to make new friends, trying not to fall short by feeling the peer pressure and feeling like I had to keep up with everybody and just doing my own thing. And just saying, it's not about me, it's about you, God. And knowing that I had to let go and let God because I didn't have another option. My option was, this is something that's happening and what can you make from it? That's so, awesome. That's awesome. And Jade, yeah. I love when we talked on the phone a couple of days ago, you were telling me about this and that it was tough moving, um, but that you have a passion um, to eventually one day, hopefully start a nonprofit um, that would work back in South Africa. Tell me a little bit about that or about so, your dream, what you think could happen. So I'm sure you guys have heard me say a lot tonight. It's not about me. It's about you, God. Um, I've always wanted to take back because I feel like I'm not rich by money, but I feel like I'm rich by where I am and mentally where I'm going. And I just feel like there's so much to give back. And we constantly see things like, hey, you could do this or you could do that. But I think one of the biggest things for me is people, like I said, and seeing somebody succeed. Finding somebody who believes in me and wants to motivate me and push me forward is exactly what I want to do. So starting a nonprofit for me has always been to the point of, what do I do? What do I call it? And my first prayer, first thing I would do was I prayed about it. And I was like, oh, what do I call it? And he was like, it's not about me. It's about you, God. And I believe in that. And those are the words I constantly remind myself when I'm going through something because I have to remind myself that whatever I'm going through, it's not about me and it's about him. So with oh, me wanting to open a nonprofit, it's just me wanting to invest spiritually, mentally, and emotionally into somebody else's life and see them succeed, but not just one person, and hopefully growing it into something where it's so much bigger than myself because there's so much more to give yeah. than just what we have. So that's, awesome. that's what it's about. Yeah, I love your perspective. That's so cool. And Naya, um, I'd love for you to tell me a little bit. I know um, home life for you is challenging. I'd love for you to speak on that. And then... Um, Fast forwarding from that, I know once you graduated college, um, things were kind of up in the air. So tell me a little bit about home life for you and then post-college, kind of what happened in your life. So I grew up with both of my parents in my house and two of my older brothers that were closer in age to me. My father is a Muslim and my mom was sort of always I think following him but didn't fully agree. So for me growing up it was super confusing going to a mosque one day, imagine that middle of Texas is like Christian country. So that was wearing a headscarf, all that very interesting. Um, so for me, honestly, growing up was confusing. And my dad sort of gave me the space to figure that out for myself until I actually figured it out for myself. Um, moving sort of forward into college, that was fun. And then I graduated, I was supposed to go to grad school. I told my parents I was not going did not go over well after, you know, your parents pay for application fees. Think you got your whole life figured out. And you're like, yeah, no, I have no idea what I want to do, but I'm not doing grad school. So my parents said, yeah, well, go to grad school or don't come home. I said, bet. (laughs) And moved to Atlanta. Uh, (laughs) I called my cousin, my godmother. She lives here out in Gwinnett County. I called her and I said, I have no idea what I'm doing with my life. 
And she said, sounds like a plan for God. So I moved in with her and sort of started going to church with her. She was the only person I'd ever seen live a faith that she said she believed in. Her life really reflected what she told me that she believed in. I'd never seen that. Mm. So sort of moving forward, I went to church with her on Sundays because that's what she did every Sunday. So I went with her and then eventually, you know, I went to an altar call, gave my life to Christ, got baptized, finally got a job. It was a good week. Baptism, (laughs) job, car. (laughs) So that was a good week. And um, after I gave my life to Christ, my dad was sort of my best friend growing up and turned into the craziest person. And um, he was not really happy about me giving my life to Christ. So he kind of jumped off the deep end and was not the best father um, for a while. So my mom ended up getting sick. I had to fly home to help take care of her. And my dad was there, apologized, reconciled. We're all good now. Yeah. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. That's awesome. Sequoia, I'd love to ask you a similar question. Um, What was home life like for you growing up? Well, um, my childhood was a little interesting. Um, I grew up in what I would call an abusive household. Um, my father was physically abusive to my mom and then very emotionally and mentally abusive to me and my three siblings. Um, now there's six of us, but at the time there was only four. Um, and yeah, he, we watched him almost beat my mom to the point of almost near death. Um, he told us stuff that stuck with us till high school. Like he told me that all I'd ever be was a pretty face because I modeled when I was little. Um, and that took a while for me to shake, like literally till very recently, um, when I found my identity as like a child of God. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I know things were tough and there was even a moment that you told me about when we talked that, um, where your grandma came and picked you up for a VBS. Tell me a little bit more about what happened that day. Yeah. So my, uh, dad was very anti, like just all things Christian. He, uh, would watch a video every single day that just said, Jesus Christ isn't real. And that's like literally the whole entire video. Um, and my grandma was very opposite that. And so she picked us up. Uh, where she was supposed to pick us up one summer. I believe I was like eight or nine at the time um, to go to vacation Bible school. And he just started yelling at us and telling us that we couldn't go. And so then he took my little siblings out of the car and I stayed in the car and I was like, I'm not getting out of the car. And then he looked at me and said, if you don't get in the car, then you can't come back. And so then I looked at him and told him, I don't want to come back. And I didn't. Yeah. And so from that point, moving forward, how long was it until you saw or spoke to your father again? It was about seven years. I saw him one more time when I was 15. And at that time, I had fully forgiven him, even though he had never said sorry. And I basically just told him that I don't like you at all, but I will always love you because you're my dad. Um, And I forgive you, even though you'll never say sorry. Yeah. Wow. So Sequoia, um, I know then that kind of all happened and, and eventually you and your family in 2013, I believe it was, moved to Arkansas. Um, and that was a pretty significant year for you for a lot of reasons. Obviously, moving from Los Angeles to Arkansas is a pretty big deal. But there was a big event that happened in 2013. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so my family all moved to Arkansas basically to be together. My brother had been playing, my older brother had been playing football at the University of Miami, and he was like, if you guys move to Arkansas, then we can all move there too. So we were all close. Um, And then in November of 2013, he was in a really bad motorcycle accident. Um, And he ended up in ICU, and he was in ICU for three weeks. Um, And then at... During that third week, a nurse accidentally uh, flushed his line with blood pressure medication, and he had a stroke, and he uh, passed away. Um, But throughout that entire time, one of the amazing testaments about that story is just like we had a million people praying, and just like we felt God's presence so fully, and not only in the hospital, but then in the home that we were staying in all together, and just people across the country. 
and the one message that was like huge afterwards was just like no matter what god is still good and so it's crazy saying that like at the time it's like you took my brother from me like how could you possibly be good but like obviously after processing and whatnot just yeah god is still good no matter what wow wow yeah amen that's awesome um I'm just so grateful for you guys and for your willingness to open up and share those things. And what I love about their stories and the stories you're going to hear in just a minute is they don't always end perfectly. Um, in fact, they, they usually never end perfectly. And there are moments where I'm sure you guys can relate to this, where there are moments in your story where it feels like things are going really, really great and perfectly as planned. And it feels like you're kind of on a high in life and you're almost standing on top of a hill, so to speak. But then there's a lot of other moments where um, it doesn't feel that way. And it feels like you're, you're low in life and it feels like you're in a valley and you're not really sure how you're going to get out. So in just a couple seconds here, we're going to sing a song. And I'd love for you guys just to stay seated during this song and just really to soak in these lyrics. But before we get to that, I'm just going to say a prayer for us. So God, thank you for these four people on stage right now and their willingness to share and be real and honest about the things that they've walked through in life. And thank you for the encouragement that they've poured into us. And Lord, in just a, a second, we're going to sing a song about how you're the God of the hills and the valleys. And I, and I don't know exactly who this song is, is for tonight, but I believe that there's at least one person seated in this room right now that needs to hear these lyrics. Maybe this is going to be the first time they've heard this song. Maybe it's the 50th time they've heard this song. But there's someone here tonight, Lord, that needs to know that you're not only with us when everything is going great in life, but you're with us, especially, God, when things aren't going as planned. You're with us in the, the high moments when we're on top of the hill. And God, you're with us in the low moments when we're in the valley. So encourage us in these next few moments, Lord, and show us that you're with us. Remind us that you're for us. It's in your mighty name we pray tonight. Amen. Get 
God, thank you so much for leading us. And that's so true, that he's the God of the hills and the valleys and all of our stories. He's with us through each moment. We have our second group of people who just loaded here, and I want to dive right in with them, second and final group tonight. And I'm curious to know, what is your name and what school do you go with? We can start on the end here. Is that, what school do you go to, not do you um, go with? I, I, I don't know you. what my that name means. Is, my government name is Aquarius, but I go by Q, and I go to Georgia State University. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, my name is Monty, and um, I'm running track at Oglethorpe. Yeah. Monty, you think you could beat me in a race? Definitely. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. You'd kill me. My government name also is Shamira, but I go by Mir, and I go to Georgia State. So. I'm Kendall, and I go to Georgia Tech. Awesome. Um, Monty, I'm going to start with you. Um, the question I have for you is, what was family life like for you growing up? We're just going to dive right in. Yeah. Um, so growing up, it was just me and my mom for about 10 years. Um, and then when I was like 11 or 12, I had my little sister. So, um, I was the only child with a single mother household for a while. And, um, I loved it. I'm so, I'm so glad it happened that way. Um, my, legally he's my stepdad now, but he's the only thing I've ever known as a dad. Um, so he came to my life when I was probably about 11 or 12, um, Officially, but he had always been, they'd been dating for probably like eight years before they got married. Um, so I kind of had that. But growing up, I was always the white kid in whatever group I was in. Like, um, only white kid on my AAU team. Um, and it wasn't like I was trying to. Like, that's just what I gravitated towards. And um, that's just what happened to come around me. Um, so, yeah. 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 Mira, similar question. Um, how about you? What was family life like for you growing up? Um, growing up, my parents were hard workers. Um, so their lifestyle, my dad was like a drug dealer. My mom worked in a strip club. And then growing up, my dad turned around his life and became a truck driver. And then my mom had to like make ends meet and work two jobs and stuff like that. So it was mainly my mom at home. I never really saw my dad because he was on the road for like three to four months at a time. So it was me and my sister. Yeah. Kendall, uh, you grew up, you have a unique story in the fact that how, how many of you, just by a show of hands, uh, grew up here at Buckhead Church? Like you have been at Buckhead Church since you were young, little. Anybody? Okay, so Kendall, you have a really <laughs> unique story because that's your story is that a lot of people didn't even grow up here in Atlanta or they moved here and they started coming to Buckhead just here at the living room. So Kendall, you've grown up here at Buckhead Church. So tell me about that. Tell me what that was like. Yeah, so I started coming to Buckhead Church in fourth grade, um, and until then, I felt like going to church on Sunday, I was just going through the motions, um, but the moment I started coming to Upstreet, which is the student ministry for, um, for elementary school kids, That's awesome. um, I just really felt like it was more about the personal relationship with God, um, and just having that small group environment throughout um, all of school growing up, um, I just really... 
Um, loved it so much, I felt called to be a small group leader for kids in Wombalane and Upstreet, so for little itty-bitty kids, too. Yeah. Gosh, that's awesome. So literally, the environment that you grew up with, now you're being able to pour back into those same kids, which is super awesome. Uh, Kendall, another question for you, kind of bouncing off of that. So you started coming to Buckhead Church when you were in fourth grade, and then when you got to sixth grade, so when you started middle school, life got pretty challenging. You walked through some difficult things. Tell me a little bit about that. Uh, Yeah, so in sixth grade, I started having a lot of trouble with friends. I always felt excluded and sometimes even bullied. Um, and it was really hard for me. Um, but one of the first like retreats that I do for Buckhead Church um, in the fall, we um, had a speaker um, series, and one of the Bible verses they said was 1 Timothy 4.12, which says, do not let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in life, in faith, and in purity. And that really stood out to me because as Christians, we are um, called upon and to be set apart, um, and so I just felt like I was able to lean into my small group leaders and have them pour into me and have that as an outlet, um, going through all the hard times of really tough friendships um, and feeling left out in middle school and even in high school, too. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that, that in sixth grade, you started walking through some tough things, got bullied, and you leaned into your small group. There's something we say here at Buckhead Church, and all the time, and we believe it's true here at the living room as well, is that circles really are better than rows. So we're not saying that showing up and sitting in rows in the seats that you're in right now is not important, but we think it's so important for you to do life in community. And it's really, really hard to follow Jesus, to have a growing relationship with God if you're trying to do it alone and you're not involved in community. And that's why we think it's so important that so many of you have taken that step here at the living room and gotten involved in a small group. And so That's really encouraging, awesome to hear. Monty, um, coming your way. So your sophomore, or for high school, really, your freshman year of high school, you moved from Macon, Georgia, where you grew up, to Alpharetta, Roswell area, went to Roswell High School, is that right? Okay, awesome, yeah. (laughs) Roswell, what's that? What's what's Roswell's mascot? The Hornet. The Hornet. Yeah, yeah, is that I'll what you guys it. do? I'll take I don't it. know if that's what you do. <laughs> so, Monty, that had to be a little bit challenging. Like, growing up your whole life, developing a community in Macon, Georgia, you moved to Roswell, which is a couple hours away, yeah, right? Yeah, probably about like two hours. Yeah, about two, two hours away. So, brand new community, jumping into high school. So, that's difficult. Your sophomore year, some things start kind of happening in your life. Tell me what, what happened. Yeah, I went through... Um, an incredible drought of depression and just loneliness. Um, growing up in Macon, I've been around the same people since elementary school all the way up to middle school. Um, and so granted, like, like I said, I was the only white kid, like even at my new middle school, like I still had my small group. And so, um, my small group of friends, so I could get through stuff. Um, but when I moved to Roswell, I didn't really know anyone. Um, and I didn't really care to make a group of friends at that point. The depression had hit, um, so bad where I just kind of shut down and, um, I didn't do anything drastic. I'm a pretty lame person if you ask my friends, (laughs) but, um, I just got even more secluded and introverted than I already was. Um, and that happened for months and it sucked. Like it was really bad. Um, and towards the end of my sophomore year, I started um, kind of getting back more into the arts and um, just focusing on, okay, maybe I do need to get out and maybe I do need to start making friends, start talking to people. Um, so that's why I kind of got out of that. In junior year, I made some great friends, um, some that I'm still really close with today. Um, so that really helped me get through that and just having that community and having um, friends I can lean on even when I don't want to because um and depression is still something I battle with every day it's not something that just goes away like that like no it's a it's a day-to-day thing some days I can wake up and I'll be so sad and feel so alone for no reason um and but now that I have that friendship and that group the community that I know I can just lean on and um I know that won't leave me alone when they know I'm sad. Um, that's one of the best things I've yeah. been experiencing. Yeah, that's huge. Mira, I know high school for you was kind of a challenging period, too, where some things started happening. Tell me about freshman year of high school. Um, freshman year of high school, so uh, growing in a, in a household where my dad was like, in an, like not present because he was trying to make a life for us, I kind of started feeling... I needed to be accepted and needed friends. So long story short, uh, we there was this guy. He asked me to 
go out and get fast food or whatever. I thought we were going to get fast food. He took a right. Fast food was to the left. And we smoked weed that day. And then from that day, it just spiraled into, like, more things. So I was just wanting to feel needed. And from being needed, I started doing drugs. Yeah. So Mira, when you were, um, yeah, you don't have to pass the mic to me, I got one. Um, so when, when, we were, when you were telling me this story, um, I started asking you more follow-up questions, which if we had more time, I, I, would, I would ask you those questions. But just to kind of catch everyone else up to speed, I said, okay, so from there, like freshman year, you were introduced to, to weed, started smoking marijuana pretty consistently. And then that kind of led to some other things where you kind of started to experience loneliness. You kind of started fighting for the approval of other people, got you into some unhealthy relationships, eventually led to some either even further um, addictions, as you said to me, with pills and stuff like that. Um, So Mira, I know that that kind of continued to pick up and spiral throughout high school and then even into college. So you came to Georgia State, college happened, it kept going. Fast forward all the way to your junior year of college, what happens? Sorry. Um, junior year of college, I kind of hit rock bottom. I was an alcoholic, smoked weed, pop pills, anything to just avoid just being with people because I felt like every relationship failed me and drugs were the easiest thing to cope with everything I needed. And it was just one day I realized, like, Jesus, I need you. Like... People aren't going to cut it. Drugs aren't doing anything, just hurting my body. And I just needed God. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. Mira, where, where is your story? Yeah, absolutely. We can clap for that. I'd love to know. So that was junior year, which was two years ago. I'd love to know, Mira, where is your story at now? Um, so I'm still getting emotional because I still have this desire for people to like me and feel wanted and needed and I'm not completely there yet but I still struggle but I struggle better with Christ Um, and like the tattoo I have on my arm um, it's about Gideon where God uses him to bring his people out of bondage and Gideon was like why me and God said because you are my mighty warrior and I believe that for myself I'm God's mighty warrior no matter what I go through and I love, I love what you just said. Um, you still struggle, but you struggle better now. And I think that so many people in this room, if not everyone in this room, can probably relate with that in some area of your life where you're like, hey, I still am struggling with this, but I'm struggling better now because before you were turning to things, every time you, the struggle happened, you just kept turning to the things that were making you struggle. But now it's like, no, I'm turning to different things. Ultimately, I'm, I'm turning to, to Christ and to a relationship with him. And so you're struggling much better, which is awesome. Um, so hey, if I could encourage you and if I could encourage everyone in this room, um, keep struggling. Sometimes I think we think, oh, the struggle is like, means that something, yeah, you don't want to struggle, but the struggle means that you're fighting. It means that you're trying to move forward. So keep, keep struggling, keep struggling. Well, Q, coming down to you, man. Uh, I got a question for you, Q. About five years ago, so back in 2014, you went through a really, really, really difficult time and moment in your life. Tell me about that. Um, no problem. Thank you, Mr. Matt. But before I can answer your question, I have to first give glory to glory to God because if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be here today. Yeah. What I went through five yeah. years ago, 2014. Awesome. Yeah. 2014. 18 years old, senior in high school, problem with my life, live my life on the edge every single day. But it was one day where I lived my life on the edge too far, and, and I failed. And when I failed, I failed pretty hard. Mm-hmm. On that day, May 7, 2014, I woke up. And on that day, I woke up super excited. And I said in my mind, I said, today's going to be lit. Today's going to be out of control, and today I'm going to be the center of attention. Me and two of my friends, we decide to skip the first part of the day, play 2K. And before we left my parents' house, I decided to take my parents' card out their permission. Then I proceeded to go pick up two more of my friends. And when I get to the school, my memory goes blank. I don't remember what happened. Mm. But my friends, they said, yeah, Q was lit. Yeah, Q was out of control. I mean, yeah, Q, it wasn't all fun. You see, they said that day started off as the best day of our senior year. It couldn't get no better. 
led out into the parking lot where we were still having the time of my life where principals and teachers had to be called to the parking lot. We all jumped in our cars. Two of my friends got in the car with me. One was my best friend, Jasmine. Good man. Man. Was another good friend of mine. Her name was Ashanti. And before we left the parking lot, we didn't stop and put on our seatbelts. And little did we know that one decision was about to change our lives. And not only our lives, but our family and friends' lives too. My friend said moments later we were speeding. Two-lane highway and I began to lose control of the vehicle. Back tires spun out. Car began to flip. And as the car began to flip, all three of us were getting ejected out the car due to us not having on our seatbelts. When I landed, I broke my neck, knocked unconscious immediately. When Ashanti landed, she suffered severe injuries to her back, knocked unconscious immediately. When my best friend Jasmine landed, she hit her head on the pavement and took her last breath. What about for his arm? I was in the shots were rushed to Greater Wall Hospital where the next day they performed surgery on me. Surgery lasted about six hours. And after the surgery, the doctors told my mom and dad that I had one percent chance of living, one percent chance of walking. And if I did live, I'll need twenty four hour care for the rest of my life. I was in a coma for about seven days and First time I woke up, it was pitch black. <laughs> Tried to get up, but I couldn't move. Only thing that was moving at the time was my head, so I go back to sleep thinking it's one of them dreams where, you know what, can't move. That next morning I wake up like I've been doing for the past 18 years of my life, and I tried to get up. But again, nothing is moving. So I lay my head back down, and I try to get up one more time. But again, nothing is moving. But what I didn't realize is that I was paralyzed from my neck down. Yeah. And Q, just to um, give you guys a little more context, uh, when Q told me about all this, I was like, this is crazy. And then he showed me a picture of the accident, and it kind of um, put everything in perspective. That was, that was his vehicle after the accident, a picture that was taken. And so the doctors said literally that you had... 1% chance to live, is that correct? Yes, sir. And basically said, beyond that, um, even smaller percentage chance of ever being able to kind of move, walk again for sure, was going to be a really, really, really low percentage, if any percentage at all. So obviously you're alive and you're walking, and that's amazing. And um, Q, I just want to tell you, man, like, I'm really, really proud of you. And we just met a few weeks ago um, on campus at Georgia State randomly, and you kind of told me your story and some things that you struggle with, and I'm just really proud of you for your bravery and your courage. Q travels around um, to a lot of different places and, and shares his story with, usually with young people, with high schoolers, middle school students, and he's really making a massive, massive difference and allowing God to redeem this story that, that, that was caused so much hurt and pain in your life that you experience every single day. And Q, there's a bracelet that you wear. You have it on tonight underneath your, your uh, amazingly awesome shirt that I wish I could pull off, but I don't have swag like you. Um, but Q, your bracelet says the phrase, one decision away. Tell me, tell me what that means. Um, when I was a senior and I was growing up, I was pretty popular and I used to always go out every weekend. My mom didn't like it, but my dad used to let me do it. And every time I left the house, my dad would say, Q, you one decision away. And I knew it. I knew he was about to say it every time. So I used to always beat him to it. Yeah, I know I'm one decision away, but it really didn't hit me. Mm. And that accident, one decision, if I didn't take that car, the accident would have never happened. And so that's my ministry name. And like he said, I go around metro Atlanta area and I share my story to whoever invites me. And with that, I have it on my bracelets. And after I speak, I believe in giving back. And... After I speak, it's for my best friend, so her name lives on. And so last year, me and my mom and dad, we was thinking of an idea so my best friend's name could live on even more. And we said, let's come up with a scholarship. 
And this past May of 2018, I gave away a scholarship to a cheerleader with the highest GPA because my best friend, she was a cheerleader, and she had a smile that can light up the room, turn your sad day into the brightest day. And so after I speak, I sell my braces for about $3, and I'm glad Mr. Matt let me say that because what I ask of you guys today, if you have... I start them off at $3, but as long as you give them the heart, that's all that matters. If you could donate to the scholarship fund, I'll be out in the lobby after service is over. I have my best friend with me since fifth grade. He has, he has the bracelets, and I have the cash app too. So if you guys, you feel it on your heart to donate to the scholarship so this year can be bigger and better, it will be very appreciated, and I thank you. That's incredible, Key. You're one of the most selfless people that I know. It's really amazing. The reason I'm, I was so excited about this night and I've loved every single moment of this night is because these people that have been on the stage tonight, this, is, this represents you. And we say the living room is a family. We say it's a home away from home and it's because of you. Like you're, you're the people that make this a family. You're the ones that make this a home away from home. And so as we kind of wrap up tonight, I just want to cast a little vision to you guys because again, as we mentioned just briefly A moment ago, like the living room has grown a lot. Some of you have been journeying with us for the past two years and you know what I'm talking about. And we believe that what God is doing here is unique. But again, it's it's because of you. Like it is blowing my mind every single week that we show up here, the way that you guys come and the way that you invite. Like, can I just tell you every single Monday night, there's at least 40 first time people that check in at the first timetable. 40 first-time people every single week that you're inviting, that you're encouraging. And I think that you guys are doing it because you're saying, man, we know people that need to be a part of this. We know people that need a home away from home. We know people that need to know they belong. We know people that need to know that there's a love for them and need to know that there's hope for their future despite what's happened in their past. There are over 80,000 college students in the city of Atlanta, you guys. Over 80,000 college students within 20 minutes of Buckhead Church. And I believe that we as the living room, as a family here, we have a responsibility. And we're probably not going to reach all 80,000 people. Like, that'd be pretty wild. That'd be awesome. But we'd have to start meeting in, like, the Mercedes-Benz or something. That's probably not really realistic. But I do think we can reach a chunk of those people. And it's not about more people coming to Buckhead Church or to the living room. It's not about that. It's about more people finding hope in Jesus. And listen, I know everyone's on a journey. You're all at different spots of that journey. But we just want this to be the safest place where you and your friends can come. And wherever you are, whatever you believe, whatever doubts you have, you can come and you can ask those questions. You can take those steps forward in your relationship with Jesus of figuring out what does faith actually look like for you. So we moved into this space here, the theater. This is what this space is called. We moved in this past fall. So it hasn't even been a year and look around like there are not many open seats. Some of you, you walk in and I watch you and like you're stressed and you're like, oh, okay, I got to sit in the middle of this row. This, uh, you know, like it's, it's stressful. We get that sometimes walking in, you show up, if you don't show up early, it's like, I I don't even know if I'm going to get a seat. There's plenty of you standing on the back wall or sitting on the side wall. And so I wanted to let you know that we're going to meet a few more times this semester here in this space. But then this coming fall, we're making plans to move across the hallway here at Buckhead Church into our main auditorium because we have to, because you guys are inviting people and you're showing up. And so next fall, we're going to be in a much bigger space. And honestly, like there's a part of it that makes me nervous, scares me because I'm like, wow, it's, it's a much bigger space, but I'm just confident in you. I, I believe in you guys. These stories, I feel like if I pulled you up here one after one after one, you guys could share similar stories. Just by, by a show of hands, how many of you started coming to the living room through an invitation? Somebody invited you to come. Look at that. Almost all of you. It's incredible. It's incredible the way that you guys care about your friends. You care about your communities. You care about your campus. And we just believe that what God is doing right now, he's just getting started. And so tonight, as we close, I thought it'd be really, really awesome if as a family, which even if tonight's your very first time and there's someone in the room, 
that it's your first time. There's a lot of people in the room that you're here for the first time. What a night to show up for the first time. You kind of get an inside look at our family and what God's been doing, what he is doing, what we believe he's going to do. But I would love to close out the night if we could all just stand up, including you guys, and if we could just kind of lock up with one another. As one family, so many different people from all different parts of life, from all different campuses, from all different cities, all different countries, but kind of locking up as one family. (laughs) And I'm just gonna close this down in prayer and pray not only over what's happening right now, but I'm gonna pray and ask God to do amazing things moving forward. And my hope is that months from now, maybe even years from now, we could look back on this night and say, man, we asked God to do that. That maybe this fall we'll start seeing him do things that we never thought possible. So I'm gonna pray for us. We got the band up here locking up with us. And then we're gonna head to groups. Lord, we just thank you for the willingness of these eight people that were up here on the stage tonight to share their stories. But God, their stories represent the stories of hundreds more people that are sitting in the room tonight. And God, we thank you for what you've done here at the living room in this community. God, I thank you for the fact that you have grown our family so much. But God, we thank you in advance for what you're going to do. God, I know there's gonna be so many more people that are gonna come to know you through this community. And Lord, we just say thank you for that. I pray that tonight was a night where we're filled up with hope, we're filled with encouragement, because we know that whether we're on a hill or whether we're in a valley right now, that you're with us and you're for us. And for the person in the room tonight that maybe has never experienced you or doesn't even know if that's true, God, tonight, would you just break through to that person and remind them that you love them, that you're for them, that you have a plan for their story. So God, I just thank you for this family. I know for me personally, man, I'm so grateful for this family. I'm grateful that my daughter is gonna be able to grow up with hundreds of role models that I can say, hey, follow Kendall, follow Mira, follow Casey, watch the way that they live, Willow. Follow their example of the way that they're following Christ in their life. And God, I am so thankful for that. So Lord, we love you. I thank you for this family. It's in your mighty name we pray tonight. Amen.